to think outside the box and to, you know, people, donors now more than ever, they want creative, strategic, fulfilling, educational experiences when they yeah. engage with a, with a nonprofit. And if we aren't thinking about what those can be and how we can differentiate that and what, you know, the USP is, and there, there's so many elements that go into it. And if you don't put really thoughtful and careful strategic time into that, then it's, you know, you're just going to lose out in the long run. Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this episode of Group Thinkers. It's me, Justin. Hopefully you know my voice by now. If you're listening to this episode, hopefully you've listened to a handful of others along the way. This episode is different though from any others because we're talking to another podcast host, a podcaster uh, from the UK, Rachel Stephenson Chef. Uh, Rachel is with a firm called IG Advisors, and uh, they do work in the UK uh, and around the globe, actually, uh, to help consult on development practices, major donor practices, communication at the top of the donor pyramid. She also does work uh, for Lightful in the UK uh, as a product and strategy advisor. So in addition to, you know, IG advisors, in addition to Lightful, like I mentioned, Rachel is the host of a podcast called What Donors Want. And so this episode's unique because we talk a lot about the first season of What Donors Want. And while there are lots of podcast options for you out there to listen to, um, in addition to listening to group thinkers, obviously, I think you should check out what donors want. It's uh, it's unique because of the connection that they have to individual, high level, high value donors, and how they sit down with them. and And on each episode, you uncover this commonality of humanity with major donors, and that's so important to us. The commonality of humanity that people give to people and. Uh, so we get into that on this episode. So you're going to enjoy it. I'm going to stop talking about it because I don't want to give away too much. We can talk about it more afterwards. Um, throw us a follow uh, on Twitter. You can find us at Group Thinkers. You can also find us on Instagram. You can uh, certainly also connect with at RKD Group. That's where we post a tremendous amount of top content about things that are happening in the nonprofit marketing space. So here you go, Rachel Stephenson Chef on Group Thinkers. Well, uh, Group Thinkers, thanks for checking out this episode. Uh, I am super excited to chat with a fellow podcaster and also nonprofit marketing expert. She may not call herself that, but I'm going to call her that. So Rachel Stephenson, Chef, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's so fun to do a, a podcast about a podcast. Yeah, yeah. This is, <laughs> it's a little meta. We talked about, you know, how, yeah. how uh, is this fun? But it's a, it's a unique opportunity for us to chat both yeah. about uh, your craft and then beyond your craft of the podcast that uh, we're going to spend some time chatting on about mm -hmm. just yeah. the learnings that that you've uncovered and that your team has found. So, uh, you know, I always like to start uh, with people kind of giving us their story, their journey. And I'm fascinated, endlessly fascinated with how people end up working in the nonprofit space because everyone yeah. feels like their path is different, but somehow it's similar in so many aspects. So, 
Tell us your journey. Tell us how you found yourself in this space. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great question. And I think my answer might be slightly typical in that I kind of fell into the nonprofit fundraising world by accident. I think that's the most common thread of experience that I hear because you don't really grow up thinking, hey, I want to be a fundraiser. But uh, I actually, um, so I grew up in Canada in Toronto and then I went to NYU to School of the Arts for my undergrad. I was a drama major and studied music theater. So it's uh, a little bit off piste of what I do now. But essentially I, I kind of, I stumbled into it because I was looking for an internship. Um, It was in the summer and I was looking at arts organizations in New York and I found the Met Opera had an opening. And they said, hey, do you want to work in our development department? And I had no idea what that meant. I thought it was developing operas because, you know, <laughs> most fundraising right. departments will call themselves anything other than fundraisers. There's, you know, development and advancement and there's all these euphemisms for that kind of space. So I actually didn't know what I was getting into, but I ended up working in development and I ended up staying there for about two years. Um, and that was in, in membership. And what I realized was that the Met was filled, and particularly the fundraising department, because of the, the kind of people and pitching aspect of the work, was that it was filled with artists and creative people and performers who wanted a bit more of a stable lifestyle and wanted a paycheck every week, uh, but who still really wanted to be connected to their creativity and to, and to the arts world. So that was definitely my thing, my ish. Uh, and, and, you know, one job leads to the other. So that that's kind of how I, I got into it from the beginning. I had a really positive experience there with a wonderful boss who taught me so many things. Uh, big shout out to Sarah on if she's listening. I'll definitely <laughs> send this to her. But uh, and then and from there, I, I kind of stayed in the Lincoln Center family. I worked at Jazz at Lincoln Center for a few years in major gifts um, and found it really interesting and fulfilling. And then I started to branch out beyond the arts and culture space and uh, and look into more human rights advocacy-based work. So I got a job at Housing Works, which is an amazing nonprofit in New York, and I I wrote a lot of grant applications for them. And I still kind of kept a foot in the theater world. I I was a a bit of a theater producer and worked at the Public Theater and Joe's Pub on a few shows, which was really fun. And I also found out that being a theater producer was kind of a euphemism for being a fundraiser in a different way. So there was, it it was kind of this accidental building of skills in that space that yeah. I didn't anticipate, but I actually really enjoyed because I loved the relationship uh, relationship building aspect of it. So that's how I got into it. And then about three years ago, I got a job from a cold email that I sent, um, which was completely ridiculous. And I can't believe this happened to me, but I was thinking Very about effective doing- email. Clearly, exactly. Clearly, I had built up my relationship-based email skills to this point, but (laughs) I I was interested in moving to London, and I I looked up London fundraising, and I found this company called IG Advisors, and I thought, wow, they look really interesting. I'm just going to email them. I'm going to email their managing director and see if I can take her for a coffee, and it turned into a job, and, uh, and then I moved over here. And I've been here for about three years now. So that's how this podcast started was the podcast that, that I create um, was at IG. And, uh, and actually about in September, I also um, switched over to working with one of IG's sister companies, which is called Lightful. And uh, it's a full service creative technology company working with charities. So at IG, there's kind of the social impact strategy component where um, IG focuses on philanthropy and corporate impact and fundraising advice. So it's, it's kind of fun. It's not fundraising anymore. It's just telling other people how to fundraise. Uh, and it's, it's also working with donors on their giving and their impact and their legacy and strategies. But then there's also a really cool digital component through Lightful. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Very cool. And uh, as you mentioned, you're the producer and host of What Donors Want, which is a fabulous podcast. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. And, uh, and so I, I really want to understand the 
origin story yeah. of your podcast. Yeah. And uh, and how it came about and and the positioning behind it. What makes what donors want different? Uh, and, and then dig a little further into some of the learnings that you've had and some of the guests that you've had and, and that sort of thing. So how how in the world, what made you decide that uh, that a podcast was right for IG advisors? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So it came about at a Strategy Away Day about almost three years ago now. It, was in, it would have been 2017, January 2017. And uh, it was kind of a rogue brainstorming idea where we were sitting down at the table and thought, okay, what's next for IG? What kind of thought leadership do we want to do? And people were shouting out ideas. And I just said, hey, what about a podcast? And the team kind of perked up and said, great. Okay, when's the first episode coming out? <laughs> and right. I went, that is the first question. <laughs> I'm very was, familiar with that. Yeah, but it was kind of fun because it's, you know, we're, we're a boutique consultancy and we're a really kind of nimble um, team that punch above our weight in the sense that if I pitched this idea, it was just, all right, you know, you have to make it happen. So then I went down a bunch of YouTube tutorials about GarageBand and mics and researched on Amazon and, and then thought, you know what, done is better than perfect. Let me just try and create something and see where it takes us. So that's kind of the inception of it, but really the, the kind of thinking behind that, that idea pitch at the Strategy Away Day and where, where the focus of the podcast came into play was the fact that we were noticing a real lack of resources in the sector where the perspective of donors was actually being centered the advice that was being given to the people who are trying to engage them. And it sounds kind of obvious when you say it, but there really aren't a lot of resources out there. And so we, we wanted to change that. We wanted to develop something that was free. So organizations of all sizes and for all cause areas could access it. Um, and we, we wanted to make something that was really high quality, but also something that was fun and enjoyable and had a bit of warmth and humor and, and approach to the topic of, of fundraising and, and donor relationships with a bit of, uh, of a reverence, as we say. So that's, that's the, the kind of thinking behind it was, okay, IG, you know, we, we, we give advice on both sides of this equation. We work with donors, individuals, families, foundations, companies, and we help them think through giving. And we, lead of, we read a lot of proposals on their behalf and facilitate a lot of pitches. But we also work with fundraisers. So we're in this unique position where we're not, there's not a power dynamic because we're not asking for any money. So we can ask these kinds of questions. So why not? Uh, and that was, that was how it came about. And, and it, it kind of, the vision for it was pretty clear from that. So on the tin, uh, for those who haven't listened to What Donors Want, uh, we, we bill it as a series of fresh, dynamic, and slightly irreverent conversations about philanthropy and fundraising with donors themselves. And the objective being to give fundraisers and nonprofit and social enterprise uh, professionals fundraising advice straight from the donor's mouth. So that, that's where that kind of, uh, kind of tin promotion came from. And something that was really important to, to me and to the team when thinking about the podcast is that we wanted to promote the, ideas that, uh, the idea that donors are actually just people. You know, we're all just at desks doing jobs, whether you're an individual philanthropist, whether you're a senior program officer, we're, you know, we all have a vision and a remit and we're just, you know, we're, we're getting through the days and, and we want exciting things to cross our, our table. So we start off all of our episodes with a speed round of get to know you questions. And that's where we ask donors of, of every level and seniority really silly questions. So, you know, what's the last show you binged? And what would be your last meal if the world was going to end tomorrow? And, you know, we asked a, a deputy director at the Gates Foundation what Spice Girl she would be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really fun note to start the episodes off of and then to dive in, of course, to the logistical and strategic and, and uh, you know, specific fundraising recommendations. But to start it off of a place of we're all humans and, uh, and let's just get to it. 
I do. I that's a part of what I I adore about it. Not just the kind of speed round aspect of it, uh, but the idea that you're making this persona in many cases, like this ideal, you know, silhouette that we imagine that we put in our strategy plans, et cetera, that you're putting a face, a name, and in some cases, a Spice Girl. Right? And and even something that you said, Rachel, that I I really do love is that, you know, the lack of resources on the sector and that uh, this podcast and your thinking is focused on providing like a human element to and hearing from the person on the other end. You know, we're yeah. sitting here, we're recording this in the first week of March and, and many people on the, you know, on the, the on my side of the pond uh, yeah. are, are still reeling on the way that 2018 closed out with yes. December giving being flat to down for many organizations and what that means for us. And so much of the thinking has mm-hmm. just been serving marketers about what they think. And yeah. I struggle with that because you're not at the end of the day, you're not understanding the people who we're actually marketing to or connecting with and building a bridge towards. We're just regurgitating mm-hmm. this, uh, this fodder. And so I, I love that, that your team focuses on elevating and bringing to light these real people that are looking to partner with and make a connection with and, uh, and, and grow with your organization. How do you come up with your speed round questions, by the way? <laughs> Oh gosh, that is, I mean, I did a lot of Googling at the beginning, kind of, <laughs> okay. you know, what, sure. what do you ask people in a speed round and uh, <clears throat> just some brainstorming. And of course we kind of tweak it depending on the personality yeah. of the donor on the show, but we want it to be silly. You know, there's yeah. been, gosh, there's been so many different questions. Like, you know, what, uh, what Hogwarts house would you be in? What right. supercar would you have? Um, you know, what is your, what's the last show you binged? Right beach or snow, coffee or tea, things like that. So right. it's should we, simple, but fun. Should we do a little speed round? Oh my gosh. Should, can, can I put you on the spot? I know. <laughs> totally put me on the spot. Do, I, this is, yeah. I know this is your bit. And so I don't want to, you know, but, but I, yeah, this is, go for it. you know, it's Except rare that someone, yeah. yeah, it's rare that you get to turn the table on someone and, and, uh, and give them their bit. So Absolutely. let's do a couple of speed round questions with you, Rachel. So okay. uh, what is the last show that you benched? Oh my gosh. It was, it was The Handmaid's Tale. That was the last show I binged, which was, I mean, a, a while ago now, but oh my God, it's so good. It's really, really excellent. It's, I kind of oscillate between Handmaid's Tale and then rewatching Gilmore Girls over and over again whenever I get stressed. Yeah, that's a heavy binge though, you know? <laughs> it's true. It's a commitment, but I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a super fan, so it's, it's good for the soul. I always need a palate cleanser whenever I'm binging something like that because yeah. it, you know, I need something to offset. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. It's so, it. it's so heavy. It's, um, but it's so brilliant. I was so, yeah. 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 Favorite football team in London. Oh my God. I'm not sure I can answer that question. Oh, come I on. Mean, <laughs> I'm not a football fan. I feel like the, I don't know. I know some of the names, but I honestly, I, I wouldn't be able to answer that with any truth. Uh, what, what theater production has uh, made the biggest impact on you? Oh my God. A great question. Um, oh, I think probably Miss Saigon. It's kind of it's one of my favorite musicals. It's so epic and so stunning. I remember that that is something that I really remember being young and seeing and walking away, going, okay, I you know, 
I need to, I need to explore what this world is about. And, you know, there's also the kind of cliche, but still very valid ones like the Wicked's and the Rents and the Spring Awakenings that definitely motivated me to explore that world and end up at Tish. Oh, very cool. If you were a sandwich, what kind of sandwich would you be? Love these questions. I'm you gonna could have to borrow all down. of these. I'm totally gonna borrow sure. them. Okay, I would be a um, something something vegetarian. I think with a like a my gosh, with a really nice olive oil, maybe some like baked aubergine slash eggplant, depending on what side of the pond you're on. Some rocket, some uh, cherry tomatoes on like a really delicious sourdough with some avocado. Excellent. Excellent. It's, it's so fun. Whenever you ask those kind of open-ended questions like that, you really do see people's personalities come out. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, so is it my preference that. or my personality? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this episode of Group Thinkers is brought to you by Holidays to the myth and reality behind giving in December 2018. Did you know that one in five donors reported giving less to nonprofits last December? I know that for organizations that we work with, things were great through November, even maybe the first week of December. And then compared to what we had traditionally seen in the last three weeks of December, things started to dry up. I'm sure I wasn't the only one who noticed a sudden drop in donations compared to what we are used to with December. So some questions started to pop up into the nonprofit marketing ether. Was it the tax laws? Was it the economy? Was it the government shutdown? Well, we decided to find answers from the donor's perspective. So RKD Group partnered with McQueen, Mackin and Associates to conduct a unique study speaking directly to donors to find out why giving dropped so drastically last December. You can download the full white paper at givingindecember.com. Find out exactly what donors had to say about their change in giving behavior and use that to build your strategies going into year end 2019. So head over to givingindecember.com, download the white paper, and now back to group thinkers. Okay. Enough, enough speed round. We'll put you off yeah. the hot seat. So, uh, but I am curious, you know, you've done, uh, you know, this initial season of what donors want. And yeah. so you, you've had some important in-depth conversation with yeah. donors who, out of the guests that you've had a chance to, to visit with so far, who has been your most favorite get? Who's been the one, what's been the one conversation that has provided you the most insight or takeaway uh, and what was it? Oh, that's such a good question. It's a really hard one to answer because, and I, I'm really not just saying this, but each episode has been so different and so interesting. I think there's a lot of, and, and they bring a lot of different value to it, to the season. So for example, I mean, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was a great one because it's, it's the largest foundation in the world. And we spoke to two, uh, to two people from there, Jennifer Alcorn and mm -hmm. Emily Inslee, who are quite senior there. And they're just fantastic. So I think in terms of breaking down the mystery behind a really large institution and getting some tangible, human-centered, dynamic, fun advice, I think that was a perfect example of that. I think 
Another episode that really stuck out to me was the Novo Foundation, where we interviewed Ramatu Bangura. She's a program officer for Advancing Adolescent Girls' Rights. And just personally, I, I'm such a fan of their work. I think they are brilliant funders. They are radical. They're inclusive. They challenge themselves. They challenge others in the space. And the, the things that she was speaking about and how, and how she works with grantees on social justice and encourages them to incorporate self-care into their budgets and to you know, let them know what reporting works for them and to really connect them with a really holistic package of support I found so inspiring from a philanthropic perspective but also so interesting from a fundraising one in the sense of, um, you know, people who are out there building movements, it's often really hard to find funders who are going to fund you in an unrestricted way, who are going to reevaluate their definition of the term risk and really allow you to do what you need to do. And I think Novo is absolutely doing that. So I just walked away from that episode feeling completely inspired and wanting to jump through the computer screen and just hang out with Ramatu. So that, that was one that stood out to me. And then I would also say... We've done two live events now, uh, two live podcast recordings, one with DLA Piper and one with the Siegel Family Foundation. And I really, really loved both of those because we got a bunch of fundraisers in the room asking questions on the spot. It was, it's always nice to interview someone in person. I think the Siegel Foundation, Family Foundation episode really kind of demystified family foundation dynamics and decision-making processes and, and funding in Africa. And, uh, and, and the DLA Piper one as well for companies was super interesting. So... There are a lot. I know that that's kind of a broad answer and I kind of cheated, but I think they're, they're kind of different. <laughs> well, they can all be your favorite children, right? You, you, <laughs> yeah, you know, every child is your favorite in some way. And so maybe yeah. in some cases, the question itself isn't fair. Uh, one of the, the episodes that, that I really do love is, is your season one kind of wrap up. And, yes. you know, because you have your team summarize yeah. the takeaways. And while we want people to go and listen to it and all that good stuff, uh, yeah. I, I do want you to expand on some of the takeaways that yeah, your team has felt coming out of it and mm -hmm. what either insight or strategies that has led to yeah. in your team's work with clients. Absolutely. It's a great question. I think one of the, the beauties of, of these interviews has been a lot of the insights that have come out of the conversations are to some degree common sense and uh, to some degree, you know, we, we can all, when we take a step back and zoom out, it's really, uh, it, it's information that really, you know, is, is, is quite obvious, but it's, it's so nice to put evidence to intuition, especially for fundraisers who are in their teams and sometimes have to advocate for more resource or more support. So having, you know, a donor answer these kinds of preference questions directly, I think has been really helpful from that. And that's what we've heard from clients, but um, to give uh, to give a recap of the recap, so uh, there's kind of three things that stick out in my mind from the first season. And again, the the range of guests that we've had have been so broad. It's everything from the Gates Foundation to individual philanthropists to Comic Relief and Novo and DLA Piper. And even within the individual philanthropy scene, there's an entrepreneur, there's a judge on Dragon's Den, which is similar to Shark Tank in the US. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different perspectives that they bring to the table. But um, even though they're so different on paper, I think what shines through are threads of commonality that define what an excellent relationship means in practice. So those kind of three elements of that commonality to share today are one, number one is the importance of relationships and partnerships and that people give to people. I mean, if there's one word, if you're going to make a word cloud of the of season one, partnership would be like front and center, huge, and everything else would be kind of small in the corner. 
and and how simple again like of course it's a partnership it makes total sense when you think about it in a zoomed out way but when you're a fundraiser and you're firefighting and there's a weird power dynamic or a complicated power dynamic rather it can be hard to approach it in that way so things that every single guest said was that they wanted to be treated like a partner not a cash register they want to be asked for advice which also kind of reminds me of my favorite fundraising phrase, which is, if you want money, ask for advice. If you want advice, ask for money. I think it's a really good one. And also, you know, in line with partnership is that both sides of the table need to be equal players. And that means that charities, nonprofits can push back. If, if a donor is coming to the table and wants to get involved in the strategy, but their ideas aren't aligned for whatever reason with the vision or the impact, it's okay to push back. And, and you can actually use that as an educational opportunity in your cultivation and your stewardship. And, and donors want to be challenged. They want to be brought on the journey. So it's uh, the, the importance of, of really stepping up to the table as a true partner on both ends, I think, is something that shone through um, very bright through all the interviews. I would also say the importance of transparency, which comes along with that partnership, which is being honest about mistakes. And uh, many of our donors said, you know, the worst thing is when, you know, you, you get a number and it's, it's too glossy. You know, what, Nick Jenkins, who, who's an amazing guest, he's the judge on Dragon's Den. And a quote from him is that he says, you know, these problems are complicated and gloss is very boring. I want to deal with the truth. They don't want even numbers, you know, that are clearly rounded up and, and summarized in a very nice everything's fine annual report fashion they want to understand the challenges they want to invest in that risk and and uh, and being honest about that and making sure your donors are kept aware of things before they reach the general public if they're you know if they're kind of big challenges or announcements is also really important and then a third one uh, to throw it in the mix as well is this also came from nick jenkins actually and i thought it was really uh, lovely insight to include in the season, which was about reframing the power dynamics and remembering that fundraisers are solving the donor's problem. So I have actually a quote from Nick that I'll read out loud. He said, the problem the donor has is they have more money than they need, they want to do something useful with it, and they want to believe it's made a difference. Fundraisers can solve that problem for them. Mm, and it's kind absolutely. of glib, but it's kind of lovely. Exactly. It it's really true. And it goes back to the first point about partnership, which is both sides have a charitable mission, and both sides are going to get something out of this relationship. So it, I know it can be nerve-wracking sometimes, depending on how comfortable you are asking for money. I think there's a, you know, there's a lots of different comfort ranges within that skill set, but remembering that you are actually doing a favor to the donor and, and you're, you're helping solve their problem of where their money can have the most impact. And that's also interesting to think about from a corporate perspective, which we explored with DLA Piper, which is the emergence of shared value partnerships with businesses and how mm -hmm. partnerships and, and fundraising partnerships in that context have to be directly relevant to business. So you actually directly, you know, you are solving the business's problem through sure. your partnership. Yes. If, if, it's, if it's robust, if it's shared value. So remembering that can be really helpful when dealing with fundraising nerves. You know, it's so uh, fascinating about it, Rachel, is that uh, the the learnings that you have in these conversations, these one-on-one -on -one conversations mm -hmm. with donors and uh, foundations and, and corporations, it, it mirrors what we see in uh, our team's work with the mass donor population. Mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. you know, I know that we, we play complementary roles in terms of what my firm does and what your firm does. And yep. we work on the mass side and, and you yep. specialize on, on the major yep. donor side. But yep. the importance of relationship, 
and uh, and authenticity or being who you are. No one wants you to, as an yeah. organization, no one wants you to uh, create a campaign that isn't who you are. Mm-hmm. You're going to you're going to push people away as opposed to draw people in uh, transparency and the need for impact. And then kind of reframing this power dynamic. Those are, are, I think those are lessons that people can apply to their mass donor marketing just as much as to anything on the mid major and plan giving side. hundred percent. And you know, I'm, I'm struck by the idea. Uh, We, we're, um, on the verge of publishing some research that we've done just about the, the you, you know, the U.S. giving at the end of 2018 and mm-hmm. where we did see some of the dips and one in five donors choosing to give less uh, in, at the end of the year. And for that 20% that chose to give less, mm-hmm. their number one reason was a lack of connection, like a lack of connection to an organization. So. Yeah. It re it just reiterates the things that you're mentioning here, and so I'm just kind of you know I'm processing all of this and and wondering from your perspective how do you think that organizations can take this and prioritize mm-hmm. their ability or their need to connect? Absolutely, that's a great question, and I mean, the first thing that pops to my mind, which is something I mentioned just uh, a few minutes ago, which is that a lot of this is common sense, right? It's, it's people to people, it's relationships. It's not rocket science, but oftentimes fundraisers are, you know, really strapped for time. They're firefighting. They have cash flow pressure. They're very underthanked and underpaid. It's, you Mm -hmm. know, that's kind of the common, common tune. So it's really hard to have that headspace to think strategically and creatively and with common sense. So I think one, one of the things that we are really excited to see this podcast doing is, is hearing from fundraisers who say, wow, thanks so much. You know, I kind of knew this already, but it's a really reassuring to hear it from the donor's mouth. And also resources like this are helping me advocate internally to mm. get more help and get more support and to kind of push my stakeholders, whomever they are, my supervisor, my board my CFO to understand that relationship building takes time and, and it, it's, you need to have the trust in that process to be able mm-hmm. to get the gifts you need down the line and you can't rush the ask. So I think, you know, that that's one um, direct way to do that. But in terms of lower level giving as well, that prioritizing connection is, is keeping it simple, you know, and, and understanding the value of connection because it's hard to prioritize something if the, if your stakeholders don't see the value in it and if they don't allow you to, right? If you, if, if, if you have requirements, if you have the wrong incentives in front right. of you, you're not going to be able to prioritize connection. Um, and that, that is so, so dangerous. We work with clients all the time who, uh, you know, whether, and it kind of doesn't really matter the level of fundraising, as you said, they, you know, it's X dollars or pounds in the door every month, which of course there has to be a financial target attached to your job if you're a fundraiser, but oftentimes there's no other targets attached to your job and that, that's a really wrong way to approach it. So there can be numbers of coffees had, numbers of you know, relationships that are in the pipeline, numbers of events that you're cultivating people at. There's so many other creative KPIs that fundraising managers and professionals can use with their teams to incentivize and prioritize connection and that works across all giving levels. I remember at the Met, so my first fundraising job, uh, rewinding for a second, when I kind of fell into it by accident in the, in the mysterious development department and realized it was the <laughs> fundraising department. Um, it was, so I was working on, uh, on membership. So that was direct mail, very much similar to mm-hmm. what you work on. So that was stewarding low-level gifts, which for Met is actually quite high, um, depending on, of course, your organization, but it was kind sure. of up to $3,000 and under. 
And even then, even at, you know, me and my first fundraising job in the context of the Met portfolios, the quote unquote lowest donors, I was still encouraged by my manager to go and have coffees with them and to ask them about their experience and to host, you know, a breakfast or a kind of in interesting events, you know, thought leadership cultivation events with them and to build relationships. It didn't matter how much they gave if they had been giving $25 a month, but maybe it some of them had been giving that for 30 years. Right. And so there's so many other ways to look at the value of a gift and to uh, kind of understand the, the needs and the motivations and the experiences of your supporters. So I was able to prioritize connection because my manager incentivized that. And it won't happen unless the people at the top understand that. So I would say that is the most important thing, but also um, stewarding the potential of giving, right? Because the people who are going to become your, your major donors um, and uh, in, the, in the UK, they use the term major donors. In the US, it's individual donors. But right. the, the major gift givers, yes. Yes. It's, um, the people who are going to become that are usually, you know, they, they might be giving at a lower level now. And it, it might be over time that the value reveals itself or they might actually have capacity to give more now. But it's, you know, as much as you can and as much as your resource and cash flow allows steward the potential of that relationship. And, and you never know where it can bring you. You said something earlier that uh, that I jotted down, and that's also prioritizing headspace, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. you might grab this idea of okay, connection's important. We need to think about connection and think about these creative ways to yeah. measure the yeah. associated with it. We have to prioritize headspace so that yes. we can even have the time to think critically exactly. to define exactly to to think outside the box and to you know people donors now more than ever they want creative, strategic, fulfilling, educational experiences when they yeah. engage with a, with a nonprofit. And if we aren't thinking about what those can be and how we can differentiate that and what you know the USP is, and there, there's so many elements that go into it. And if you don't put really thoughtful and careful strategic time into that, then it's, you know, you're just going to lose out in the long run. For sure. For sure. Okay. So let's, let's jump back into some of the brainstorming sessions that you have at IG Advisors and just yeah. knowing that you get to dance in this, uh, this major donor side, but then also that you dance across into the yes. digital and the tech side. I'm yeah. curious from your perspective, what's something that is coming or something mm -hmm. that you see as uh, happening right now in the yeah. nonprofit marketing space that really gets you excited, that really gets you jazzed? Yeah. So I would actually say it's, it's the role of digital and the role of technology, which is something that is a slightly obvious answer when it comes to other professions and other spaces, because it's, you know, we are in a digital world. Um, but the, the nonprofit sector has actually been a bit slow to catch up with it. And, and I think that comes from actually a lot of it is to do with donors, you know, perhaps not recognizing the importance of building digital resilience in the third sure. sector. Yes. And, uh, and, and what we're noticing though with, with our clients and, and particularly with my role at Lightful is that donors are starting to take that more seriously and starting to get more excited by digital investment and by kind of equipping the third sector that, you know, the beyond profit sector with the digital tools to play on the same uh, level playing field as, as other spaces, because we need, you know, if there's anyone that needs to be resilient and doing, you know, impactful work, it is our charities and our nonprofit sector. So I'm excited about that, but how that actually manifests is an interesting question. I think it's still early days in that space, but what I, what, from a fundraising perspective, I'm excited to see kind of the move away from analog, really long, dense, 
slightly boring annual reports that no one reads. <laughs> you know, I know they're important. It's due diligence. I get it. <laughs> I've written many in my time, but you know, donors are not it's not as fulfilling for them. No, you know, they don't want to read a 40 page PDF. Yeah. They want to read something that's snappy that they can engage with on a digital medium where they engage with everything else in their life. Something that's human centered, that highlights impact, that makes them feel close to the, to the work that they're funding. And, and a brilliant example that really pops to mind when I think of that is um, there's, there's a charity in the UK called Islamic relief and they, their major donor fundraiser, you know, really high levels of giving, was there was an emergency in East Africa. And because he had built such incredible relationships and such strong degrees of trust with his major donor portfolio, when this emergency happened, he was in East Africa and he was able to start a WhatsApp group, um, which I know Americans aren't as used to using that, that app, but it's basically a text message um, for anyone who doesn't know. And it's basically a text message group with a bunch of his major donors and said, listen, this is, this is the situation. We need some help. And he raised 180,000 pounds within a few hours. That's amazing. Through WhatsApp. And That's amazing. I know. I think it's so exciting and it's so real. You know, he could send videos, impact mm -hmm. videos straight to the field, FaceTimes. There's so many digital tools that are just going to prioritize connection to bring that back. And I think that's really exciting. And I also think... Uh, that's really exciting for the next generation of donors, which I know is something that every charity of every size and every fundraising level is speaking about, which is we're in this, you know, the midst of this, the greatest wealth transfer of all time from one generation to the next. But our, our donor pipelines are a bit, you know, a bit elderly and a bit, um, you know, there's, and, and a bit homogenous and a bit white. And how do we diversify that? And the answer is the next gen donors and the answer to get to them is through digital. So I'm really excited to see what kind of new products and tools and, and ideas that come out of, uh, of that kind of brainstorming, which is something I'm involved with at Lightful. And it's, it's very exciting. Very cool. So what's coming for the second season of What Donors Want? Ah, yes. So that is a great question. We have just started the second season. I've actually recorded two interviews. Um, one okay. will be published next week. So it's going to be similar, but with a bit of a twist. So we're still going to be interviewing donors about what they want, obviously, as we say on the tin. Um, but what we're going to try and do is also get a little bit more niche and specific with the kind of donors that we're speaking to and also uh, engaging with some thought leaders. So for example, we're, we're kicking off the season with um, Oxfam, an interview with their head of research and partnership insight, Tilly Peacock, who's amazing. And they've just done this huge piece of essentially what donors want, but a research project. So we're okay. interviewing her. Um, we've got uh, Emma Turner, who's the head of philanthropic services at Barclays Private Bank. And we're speaking about financial services and intermediaries and wealth managers and how to involve them in your cultivation process. That will be very cool. We're also, um, in a few weeks, I'm speaking with Edgar Villanueva, who's an author who wrote a book called Decolonizing Wealth. And it's the, the forward of it is written by Peter and Jennifer Buffett, who started Novo Foundation. And it's just absolutely brilliant. And it really challenges the space of philanthropy and the practice of fundraising in a way that I'm excited to dive into. We're, uh, we've all got a, an interview with an activist, Urvashi Vade, who runs something called the Donors of Color Collective in the States. She's done a big piece of research on, on uh, giving within that group and that community. So really excited to give a platform for that kind of research and to kind of explore different uh, different donor niches and, and, and there'll be more than that as well. We're, we're planning out the pipeline and, and I think there's going to be some really exciting episodes. So oh, that's, that's great. great. It's yeah. a, it's a good opportunity to just remind people that they can certainly subscribe and, and be sure to tune yes. in to, to the <laughs> and, and all that good stuff. How, uh, how can people connect with you and with what donors want? 
Yes. Thank you for asking that question. So if they want to connect with me, um, feel free to send me an email at anyone who's listening. My email is pretty simple. It's Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, at lightful.com. Um, there's also, I have Twitter. If you're interested in that, it's at Rachel Stefchef, uh, S-T-E-F-S-H-E-F. And then What Donors Want, it's on all the usual podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. And we'd love to hear from you. We hear from listeners all the time. And, and I always love feedback and comments and requests for questions or requests for donor interviews, whatever you have, send it our way and we'll, we'll take it into account. Awesome. Well, Rachel, I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, the chance to chat with you. And I think, you know, it's, uh, it is, as you mentioned earlier, there, there are so many common sense things that sometimes we need to popcorn those up to the top, yeah. just bubble them up and remind ourselves of the application of how they still matter. And now yeah. maybe more than ever, some of them matter. So, so thanks Definitely. so much for, for spending time with me today. And uh, I can't wait to hear what's coming uh, in these interviews that you have for season two of What Donors Want. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to be on your show. And I really appreciate the opportunity. You know, it's, it's actually a lot of fun for a podcaster to talk to a podcaster. Uh, we just seem to see eye to eye and, and can connect on how we interview our different subjects and, and that sort of thing. Also had a tremendous amount of fun stealing one of Rachel's bits uh, of the, the hot seat and asking some of those questions. So uh, Rachel, thanks for loaning me those. As I mentioned, you can use any of the questions in future episodes of what donors want, particularly the sandwich question. Don't sleep on finding out what sandwich you would be if you were a sandwich. It's a, a wonderful conversation starter, party trick, if you're looking to add to your party trick arsenal. Uh, okay, so one of the things that I took away from this episode, and I, I hinted at it at the top, but uh, I, I love seeing the reality of donors as people and uh, to remove the labels that we put on them as marketers, whether or not that's a persona label or a giving life cycle label or even calling them our donors. I love with what donors want that they sit down and talk to individuals that have contributed. I find such value in that and find such value in uh, Rachel's perspective on from a strategic thinking space, finding time to clear your mind and to clear your headspace so that you can think and be strategic. And that's something that more of us need to dedicate time to on a, uh, a personal level and a professional level. So, uh, hey, you heard it in the middle, but just want to mention again, that you can head on over to givingindecember.com, download the white paper that we published there that gets into the motivations from the mouth of donors of how their giving changed over the course of the last year and ties directly into some of the things that Rachel and I talked about around donor connection and how they're prioritizing their giving based off of the, the places that they feel most connected to. So uh, be sure to head on over to givingindecember.com, download that study, uh, check out the stuff that we've written about that study on RKD Group's blog. You can go to rkdgroup.com slash blog, find uh, 
handful of content pieces there as well as on the RKDD group LinkedIn. Uh, last thing, uh, as we close out this episode, if you want to connect with Rachel and talk more about that top in philanthropy or you want to just get into the social space and have a conversation about it, um, jump on over into Twitter and do that. Uh, be sure to tag us at Group Thinkers. Love to know what you're thinking about this episode. So uh, that's it for the convo with Rachel. Hopefully you enjoyed it and we'll see you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks goes out to the production team, including Ryan Mellinger, as well as our content marketing team, Suzanne, Holly, and Carly for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.